we take a moment and we press pause, Lord, every time we open up the Word, God, let it be a special moment. God, that it is living, it's sharp. God, it pierces the depths of our soul and spirit that we would be changed and transformed into your image. Father, I'm praying today, God, that you would do something not just in this service, but Father, in this season, Lord, as the American church and all the things that we've gone through in a day like today, that we would be the church of the last days. Father, that we would have a heart that hungers after you, that goes after you, that we rend our hearts, Father, for you to rend the heavens and come down. Lord, to you manifest your spirit among us and in us once again as we seek your face. And everybody said, Amen. <clears throat> Amen. I want to talk to you about Isaiah chapter 64 as we wrap up our series uh, about the promises of God in Isaiah called Jesus Saves. And today I want to talk to you about rend heaven and rent hearts. What does it mean for God to rend the heavens and us to rent our hearts? Or uh, really about a revival prayer. How many people, don't have to show your hands, but you've ever experienced the manifest presence of God? Now, I was thinking about sometimes coming to church for many of us, when we just come into the building and we come to a, or a small group gathering or a time where people are seeking the Lord, it's kind of like just having your cell phone charged. Just by being there, you feel good, you feel better, you come away, recharge for the next week. But then there are some times where God just shows up in a meeting whether it be a large group, a small group, or just some people in their homes, that God's tangible presence just manifests in the environment. There was one time in my life uh, I can vividly recall where a few hundred of us college students who had answered the call to reach our own campuses. And I was, I was a young person. I was not called to the ministry. I was in my uh, probably 20, 21 years old. And I go to this training conference and there's several hundred students there. And man, the, all I can explain is that the tangible presence of God rested in the room. That young people were called in the missions and uh, baptized in the Holy Spirit. Many had never been in before. People had never been using the gifts uh, of the Spirit who began to prophesy or speak in other tongues. who began to do that. I'd never experienced that God that before, and I remember there was a moment where the praise team had had come in off of a flight, and they, nobody knew them. Uh, that was the first time anybody had ever met them before. They come in, and the, the the evangelist, the pastor who was speaking at the time turns to the piano, uh, it was the keyboard, turns to the keyboard uh, a player at one time, and he says, there's, there's something God wants to do right now. And he said, on the plane ride over here, God had given you a song in your heart to uh, write down and, and you had crumpled it up and he's like have I ever met you before no have we ever met before and he said no 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 and he, he said in your left pocket he said there's a piece of paper crumpled up and that song that God gave you on the plane is for right here right now and to our amazement, he pulled out a piece of paper, crumpled up, and the band had never played it, no one had ever sung it, and that man, I don't even remember the words or the lyrics, but as soon as he began to play that piano and sing that song from his heart, man, it was just a wave of God's Spirit just filled the room, and people just began to be filled with the Holy Spirit. There are times where God manifests His presence. And I'm longing to see that again. Uh, in this day for this generation, 
I think about Scripture, and you go back to the Bible, and I think about the time in Exodus where God comes down on the mountain with Moses, and it says that a consuming fire came up on the mountain, and everything quaked, and people were fearfully in awe of God's majestic presence. And then uh, I go even further in the Scripture, and I see a thing about Solomon, and when Solomon dedicated the temple to the Lord, it says that the glory, the Shekinah glory of God, so filled that place, that temple, that the priest couldn't even enter in. His tangible presence was so manifest, so strong. Think about Elijah calling down fire from heaven that licks up burnt wood or wet wood and licks up the water. And man, just God demonstrates his awe and his power. And the whole nation converted. Great revival happened in Elijah's day. I think about the moment where John the Baptist heard a voice from heaven split the sky. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And he saw the visible demonstration of God's Holy Spirit come down and rest upon Jesus. Or think about Peter and James and John when they're on the mountain with Jesus and they hear the Lord speak from heaven. And he says, this is my son. Listen to him. And and they see Jesus' face transfigured. A radiant, shining light comes off of him. They, they experience the tan- so much that P- Peter's like, hey, let's build an altar right here because God's sh- surely shown up in the middle of this. And I think about even the early church. Man, as 120 devoted followers believed in Jesus enough to commit their life to the gospel, that they waited for power And in Acts chapter 2, that the sound of a rushing wind came and filled the house where they were sitting and praying. And man, what looked like tongues of fire rested upon each of them. And they began to speak in the Holy Spirit as the the Spirit gave them the utterance. They began to speak in other tongues. And then they were transformed. And what came out of that meeting was that out of this 120 people, signs began to follow those who believed. And demons were cast out. And people were healed and baptized. And within just a few hundred years... That group of misfits, of nobodies, transformed the entire world and reached even to the place of the emperor. And man, what happens when God manifests his presence in a people who are seeking him? But you know, the, probably the most, I look at Exodus, I'm like, man, what would it be like if God just showed up in Gina, Louisiana, or United States in fire, consuming fire, wouldn't everybody would just believe? But you know, the most powerful manifestation of His presence is not in the fire on the mountaintop, but it's in the fire of the Holy Spirit that is meant to rest and reside upon each believer in Jesus Christ. The most powerful demonstration that God is here and among us is the indwelling presence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's that consuming fire that John said, uh, John uh, the uh, Baptist said, he said, there's one coming after me. I am not worthy to untie even his sandals, but he will baptize you not just in water, but in the Holy Spirit and with fire. That's that same consuming fire that was on the mountain with Moses that came down with Elijah that rested in Solomon's temple is meant to rest and reside in each and every believer of Jesus Christ. How many people believe that? That's what it means to actually be Pentecostal. That's what it means. It means I believe that God is still active and alive and working today and He desires and always has desired to make His people an indwelling temple of the Holy Spirit. But where is God Today, in a day like 2020, in a day like today, is God far away from the American church? Does He still manifest His presence? Does He still work wonders? And if He does, what's He waiting on? What's He waiting on? Perhaps it is not God, but it's us. You see, many today, I think in America, we'd we'd call ourselves, we'd say we live in a routine Christianity. If I look at the national stage today or even the world stage of much of the church today in the modern context, we don't look very much like that radical Acts church. 
Many people, if you ask them, those are biblical stories. Those are days gone by. God did that back then, but I don't know if God still does that here today. Does God still make axe heads float with Elisha? Does He still heal the lepers? Does He still raise the dead? Does He still cast out demons? And you'd be sure, it'd be hard-pressed to find a Christian that had experienced these things in today. They're there, but how many Maybe the problem is not God, but that we're really not rousing ourselves to seek Him, as if a deep sleep or a slumber has come over the modern-day church. I think about that moment when you get up in the morning and you really don't want to get up, and you're half asleep and half awake, and you just have to tell yourself, you're like dreaming. One part of you is like, no, keep sleeping, keep sleeping. The other part of you is like, no, you're going to get up, you're going to be late. And one moment, there's some of you is going to win. And this, it, it always is, it's like, Okay, one, two, okay, get up. How many people know what I'm talking about? You just have to like rouse something up like, okay, move the right foot. Okay, okay, now move your left foot. Now just slide out of bed. You know, like there's something that, and what if you were in, we were in such a slumber that we didn't know it in the American church today and God is waiting on someone who just musters up something inside of themselves and says, I have to believe there is a biblical Christianity in 2020 that we've yet to cling on to, and I will do whatever it takes within me to see it happen, if not in their life or my life, but in my life. Are we in a deep sleep? Have we traded the holiness and devotion of the Lord for comfort and compromise? You know, uh, well, Pastor, I've never seen anything like that. I don't know what that would look like. You know, God has moved time and time again in America. Let me tell you a few quick stories. In the uh, 1700s, in 1730, in the 1730s, Benjamin Franklin even wrote about one of the things that we call the First Great Awakening. In the 1730s, 40s, and even beyond, there was this mighty move of God that broke out from the Methodists and the Baptists. That's where the Methodists and the Baptists really began. There's a guy by the name of George Whitfield, and George Whitfield was this booming, powerful speaker, and as he began to speak, he's kind of like the Billy Graham of his day, and hundreds and thousands of people begin to come and be saved, and God began to sweep across the 13 colonies, and Benjamin Franklin even wrote, he said, there was such indifference in America at that time that people didn't care about religion or religious things. There were more people filling the bars than the churches, and the religiosity had become so dead in America. And he said, but there was such a sovereign move of God, he said, that as you began to walk down the streets, you began to see people turning from indifference to religion, to church, to Christianity. He said, you would walk down the streets and you would hear from the houses as you walked through the streets every evening. You would hear songs and hymns as families every night began to sing about who Jesus was and praise the Lord from their porches on the street corners because there was such a mass gathering of people who were turning to Jesus Christ. So much so that people were weeping and wailing in churches and travailing in prayer until the Holy Spirit power descended and they knew that they knew they were saved. There was such conviction of the awe of God over the entire country that hundreds and thousands began to turn to Jesus Christ. Maybe never you heard that in school. Even a generation later, in the 1790s, after that generation had come and gone, in 1790s, there's another great move of God called the Second Great Awakening. And then you hear about guys named Charles Finney at this one. And uh, it's been said that Finney would see 500,000 conversions just in his own ministry uh, alone. There was a time in 1830, at the end of that, that move of God, that he would go to Rochester, New York, 
And again, there'd be weeping and wailing. People would just be converting uh, in their barns, on the street corners, and, and they would be so convicted of their sin. Even as the social uh, society had been begun to change in America, they had turned more to their preachers for comfort, and now they wanted to turn to the presence of God. And people would be lost in prayer. Prayer meetings would go in through the night and into the next day. Meetings would continue on. And as he went to Rochester, New York, he began to preach that the entire town shut down all their businesses so everyone could go to that meeting. And at the end of that year, somewhere in that time, as after all those people were converted, that every single bar in Rochester, New York closed permanently because of a move of God. What would that look like today if God just decided to manifest His glorious presence again? It's already happened once, twice. Some people think there was a third great awakening. But then we know even in the night, in around 1900 in the United States, there was a couple of radical pastors who were black and white and poor. And uh, William Seymour, Charles Parham, man, they were believing that the gifts of the Holy Spirit were still available for today. They began to preach divine healing before anybody had spoken in tongues in generations. Anybody had ever been baptized in the Holy Spirit for generations, except in remote places in, in the missionary field. They began to preach on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and it was in Azusa Street on an LNA, a little mission center with just like a, it was basically a rundown junk is what it was. And these poor people gathered, and they began to seek the Lord, and God came down like lightning, knocked people off of their chairs, baptized them in the Holy Spirit. Poor people, all disaffected people, all types of people began to come, be healed, delivered, set free, filled with the Holy Spirit, write new Spirit-filled lyrics. And from that little gathering burst the modern day Pentecostal movement, the Assemblies of God and the Church of God and all these things that we see today that now there is over 500 million Pentecostals and Charismatics around the world just in less than 100 years. What if God is still desiring to move among us? Amen. The question really though is are you ready for God to rend your routine? Because He still rends the heavens for those who rend their hearts. That's really what I want to talk to you about this morning. He rends the heavens for those who rend their hearts. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 64. Let me give you the context. Isaiah is speaking to a people in exile. He's prophetically speaking 150 years into the future to uh, Israel and Judah, who've been led captive. Judah and, and the tribes have fallen into Babylon. The town, the Israel, the nation has been destroyed. The temple is burnt and abandoned. They're living in the days of Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel and the lions in Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, that kind of a day. And, and they're there. And Isaiah gets this vision at the end of his prophetic work of his life. He sees that God desires to dwell in the midst of his people, that God's got this glorious plan. That God has been so good. He says, I'm going to make a new temple, a new Jerusalem. I'm going to come down. And man, my desire, I want to be in the middle of my people, in the middle of their mess. I want them to see my glory. I want them to come up and dwell with me always. He sees heaven. He sees that God's got this eternal plan for his people. And God loves them. And he's going to save them. He's going to win against all the evil in the world. God's going to win. But at the same time, guess what? He sees another image of God. He sees God, the Messiah, the King, this warrior King on this, like what we would say in Revelation, off this white horse. And He comes down 
And he brings wrath upon the nations. Every nation that turns itself against God. Every man that lifts himself up against God and is following the rebellion of his own flesh more than the word of God. And this warrior king, this God comes down and treads on the nations like a wine press. In fact, Isaiah sees this king and he sees that his robe is stained with blood as if he's been actually squishing people and he's covered in their blood. That's not a really popular Sunday school story that we tell our kids, is it? But Isaiah sees this and he says, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. I know and I want to be with this God. I, we want to go to heaven. We want God to dwell and we want to be God with him. And, and, but at the same time, he says, man, but I see this God. And then the same person. And he looks and he says, let me think about this. He looks back in time. He says, you know what? God has been faithful in the Exodus to deliver us of sin and slavery and bring us to the promised land. He was always faithful. And we rebelled and he was faithful and we rebelled and he was faithful. But now we're in exile. We've turned our backs on God. And he says, if this king came right now, I don't think we'd like the one that's coming. I don't think this generation would be ready to meet this king. I don't think that our people are ready. Yeah, I want to go to heaven, but I don't think they're ready for this guy that's coming. He's coming in wrath. He hates sin. He's indignant of it. He's coming to bring judgment on the world. And this is the God that I love and I serve. He says, but this is the God I see. When I saw him lifted up on the train of the robe, filled the temple, I saw him seated there. I said, woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. In the middle of a people of unclean lips. He says, we're not ready. And so he begins to cry out. He says, Lord, this generation needs revival. This generation needs to see you in this day like they did in Moses' day. Lord, if you would just come down like you did with Moses, give these people a chance because they're not ready for your coming. So let's read this together. And how would that be for this day? Is this generation, are you, am I, actually ready for when Jesus comes down? Because the Jesus you think might be coming may not be the Jesus you're looking for. Isaiah 64, verse 1, he says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down that the mountains might quake at your presence as fire kindles the brushwood, as a fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence when you did awesome things which we did not expect. You came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. From the days of old, they've not heard nor perceived by ear, nor has the eye seen a God besides you who acts in behalf of the one who waits for him. You meet him who rejoices in doing righteousness, who remembers you in your ways. Behold, you were angry, for we sinned, and we continued in them a long time. And shall we even be saved? For all of us have become like one who's unclean, and all of our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. And all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind, they take us away. God, there is no one who calls on your name who arouses himself to take hold of you. You've hidden your face from us and delivered us into the power of our iniquities. But now, O oh Lord, you are also our Father, and we are the clay, and you are our potter, and all of us are the works of your hands. And he says, But do not be angry beyond measure, O oh Lord, nor remember our iniquity forever. For behold, now all of us are your people. Your holy cities have become a wilderness. Zion's become a wilderness. Jerusalem's in desolation. Our holy and beautiful house where our fathers praise you has been burned by fire. And all of our precious things have become a ruin. And will you restrain yourself at these things, O Lord? Will you keep silent? 
and afflict us beyond measure. Lord, look down from heaven and won't you visit us one more time before you come again. He is singing a song, a prayer of revival. And it is a revival heart cry. This is probably one of the most powerful revival prayers in Scripture. And I want to look at it today and just give you the three things of who is God going to bring revival for? He says, how is this going to happen? Won't you do this? And Isaiah lays out this pattern how God brings revival to a people. There's a Henry Blackaby is a Baptist author and he studies revival and he wrote this. I love his definition. He says, revival is when God's people return to God. God returns to them, and everyone sees the difference. It's when we turn to God, God turns to us, there's a radical change, and everyone sees that God is in the midst, that God is alive, and He's well, and He's doing something in the middle of us. That's revival. So who, if God is going to pour out revival in your generation, in your day, if you're going to see revival, if you're going to be ready to meet Jesus, who is that for? Who, who, what, who gets revived? He says, number one, it's those who repent. Real revival begins with repentance. Isaiah sees, he says, I know God is angry about sin. I know God disciplines those he loves. I know that God hates wickedness more than we can even imagine. He will tread on men who rebel against his law and his word like a man treads on winepress. He will crush them like crushing grapes beneath his feet. And that's not a picture we preach much in, in modern day Christianity. That a God hates sin. He's willing to die for the sinner, but he hates sin. He says, I see a God who wants to dwell with us, and we want to dwell with him. But I also see a God who is holy, who is awesome, who is fearful, who is majestic, who the angels who are perfect in being can't help but bow down and describe his holiness. He says, and here I see God. If you came down today, we would not be ready. Do you think if we could, God came down in the United States of America today, we'd be ready? Do you think God, if He showed up in so many American churches today, how many Christians would really be ready to meet a God who hates sin? He says, God, I cry out repentance. In verse 6, what He says is, Our deeds are as a filthy garment. That word in literal Hebrew is a menstrual garment, a menstrual cloth. He says, God, we are like undone. He says, we are so far removed from being clean and good and perfect. You see, in ancient times, in Old Testament times, women who were on a certain time of the month could not go into the presence of God. It was ceremonial uncleanliness. And here's this prophet declaring himself as a man. He says, God, I'm no better than anybody else. God, in my best day, I still fall short. And sometimes we play religion and we say, man, at least I don't cuss anymore. I don't drink anymore. I don't cheat anymore. But yeah, I still think it. Oh yeah, but I'm not like one of those people I used to run around. I used to write hot checks and hey, I don't smoke anymore. So I'm doing pretty good. I'm all right. And then he says, but even on your best day, you are like trash in the presence of God. Apart from him, there is nothing good in you, Paul says in Romans 6, that you can't stand on your own two feet before God. You will be undone. Woe is you. He says, there is guilt on me when I look at myself apart from God, outside of his grace, outside of covering of sacrifice, I see that I cannot stand on my own two feet. Well, I don't think right, I don't feel right, I don't act right, and I know it. Isaiah begins to declare that over his life, and he says, my religious works are disgusting. Man, that we'd have a revelation of God. 
And he says in verse 7, look, he says, God, there's no one that rouses themselves. There's no one that takes hold of you. There's no one who's, who's drawing themselves in. And I think about America today. I think about, God, what happened to Sunday nights? God, what happened to the prayer meetings? What happened to altars filled with seasoned saints weeping and wailing? I remember just as a young person growing up in a Pentecostal church, and it wasn't like one of those crazy Pentecostal churches, right? I mean, I'm talking like normal people, okay? Not crazy. Normal people who would just spend time an hour after service laboring in prayer for God to move in the midst. And I see a lot of those saints just sitting back and watching another generation of Christians get polished and professional and religious religious and nobody cares and we check out of ministry and we check out of church going and we're fine with going just once or twice a month but nobody comes to the prayer meeting nobody gets down on their face the prayer closets are empty and he says this is the reason he says God verse 16 through 19 he says look when I look at the status of your people we are just as defeated as the world we look just like them you know the same rate of pornography is in the world is also in the church the same statistic says there's the same amount of divorce in the church as in the world the same amount of tv shows we watch the same amount of things we deal with is the same as the world he says we don't look any different they don't know that god's real how would why would they even think that god's real because god we suffer with the same amount of depression we suffer with the same guilt and anxiety we have the same fear we have sex and money and greed all that rules our life we make decisions based on carnal things we're not going to the Lord God's not speaking from heaven in our lives look at the American church I'm not talking about just us look at Lutherans and Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterian in America we ordain homosexuals we 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 allow abortion in so many denominations the plateau of Christianity in America is on a decline there are pastors falling at a uh, increased rate pastors committing suicide today just this week, I learned of a popular pastor and a huge moral failure because he traded authenticity of holiness and compromise for relevance. And I said, look, God, he says, we don't look like your people anymore. Billy Sunday was a famous baseball player in the late 1860s and 70s and 80s. And around the turn of the century in 1900, Billy Sunday had converted and became one of the most famous uh, evangelists of his day. And because uh, he was a celebrated American athlete, and he wrote this. He said, Revival is needed when careless and unconcerned keep people asleep. How many think that reflects 2020 America? Revival is needed when we are careless and unconcerned in the church. And maybe today in 2020, God's weeding out the church because there will be no revival unless there's repentance. Revival always comes on the darkest days. When people repent, and Frank Bartleman was a guy who watched the Azusa Street Revival as the modern Pentecostal movement when it began and birthed in the early 1900s, and he wrote this about what he saw. He said, the depth of repentance determined the depth of revival. That the Holy Spirit didn't just come down and begin to move mightily when demons cast out and miracles begin to happen. And he said, no, that before all that happened, there was a depth of repentance in the saints of God. That they knew that God was holy and they were sinners and they needed a Savior. And they were bothered with their sin to the degree that they got on their face and sought after a God who wanted to be found. 
They were not careless and unconcerned. They were not apathetic. They were not religious. They were bothered that if God came back today, this generation would not be ready. They would meet a holy and terrifying God, not the God that's up there with rainbows and clouds and wants to be your best friend so you can go fishing on the Sea of Galilee or something. That's not the Jesus that you and I will meet on that day. Even the Bible says that even Isaiah, when he saw him, he fell down his face, he's dead. Even John the Revelator, who was the best buddy of Jesus, the closest of disciple who leaned his head on Jesus' breast who is known as the disciple that Jesus loved when he saw Jesus with his hair of wool and white his eyes a flame of fire his voice was sound like many waters his feet were shining like bronze and when he spoke people trembled he fell as dead the second time he saw Jesus can you imagine? And some of us think when we're going to get up to heaven, we're going to be buddy buddies and go sit on Jesus' lap. We're going to talk about a birthday party and we're going to do some awesome things and go fishing and hunting. I'm going to tell you something. That's not the heaven you're going to go to. It is going to be where 24 elders and four living creatures and all of us are so amazed at the awe of this majesty and glory that it's not going to be boring. It's not going to be dull. It's not just going to be a church service. Man, you are going to be so captivated by the glory of the manifest presence of God. It will be without end that you will wonder of Him and glory of Him and bask in His love and presence ever, forever, and forever. He is majestic. He is holy. And he says, we're not ready. Are you ready? If God was to show up today, would you really, really be ready? What Jesus are you looking for? What Jesus are you ready for? He says, God, we're not ready. So, Lord, would you do something? Let us see you again. He says, verse 1 and 2, he says, Lord, rend the heavens and come down. Let us see you like Moses saw you. God, show up in power again so we get holy and fearful of who you are, that we fall in love with you over and over again. He says, rend the heavens. That means tear it to pieces. And he's really saying, God, as I rend my heart, I tear my heart so that you'll tear the heavens is what he's saying. He's basically saying for us today, have we prayed, Lord, rend our routine. That's probably the thing that we need to rend the most in our life is our holy routine, that we have this thing that we say, this is, we call this church, we call it going a couple times a month. We, we call it getting away from drinking and cussing and chewing. And we think that's church. And we think giving a few money to pay off the pastor so he don't call us. Or we think, well, if I could just throw up, they'll count my attendance and they'll be happy that I came. We think that's church. He says, no, no, no. God, rend the routine. Break it apart. Smash our churches to pieces. God, when the Holy Spirit come, it licked up the water of Elijah's water. It, it dried up the wood and consumed the offering. What would it be like if the Holy Spirit was so tangible in our church service that water began to boil? That's what he's asking. That the temperature of the room would change when the Holy Spirit came. He's saying, God, rend our routine. Leonard Ravenhill wrote a lot about revival in his day in the mid-1900s. He said, as long as we are content to live without revival, we will. As long as we're content to live without it, you will. As long as you're content to live without a manifestation of God in your life, you will, because only those who are hungry and thirsty are filled. Verse 3 says, God, do the unexpected again. 
We had no clue you were going to part the Red Sea. We had no clue you were going to give manna. We even called it manna. What's this? We didn't even know what it was. It was unexpected. And what would it be like if God just moved unexpectedly in the church of the modern day today? What would it look like? Hey, the 1730s, the 1790s, even the 1900s had their day where God moved at crises in the world, world wars, depressions. God moved into people who were hungry. If you aren't ready for a move in 2020, when will you be ready for a move of God? Think about it. We have all types of things happening in this day. Economic unrest, political unrest, national, worldwide pandemic, and turmoil. We've had recessions and terrorist attacks. If all this is not stirring us up and say, Lord, if you don't come now, there will be a generation that will perish when you do come. He says, Lord, rend our hearts, rend the heavens. We're in a ruined condition. We can, there's no hope unless you move. Finney said, Charles Finney in the Second Great Awakenings, he said, he never saw revival until there was a spirit of prayer. And what he meant by a spirit of prayer was, he said, until the saints in that community, the churchgoers, the religious people, until they got on their knees and they travailed in prayer with groanings, until such that they were so bothered by the state of the day they lived in, God would not move. There had to be a spirit of prayer from people who knew better, and who had seen God move before or believed He could and believed He would again. There was a story of the Lewis Awakenings in Scotland in 1949 on the Isle of Lewis in Scotland. There was a guy by the name of Duncan Campbell. <clears throat> little did he know that two little ladies in their 80s had so been bothered by the falling away of their generations of the young people in their churches. They were so disturbed that they began to meet regularly for prayer and fasting and, and wailing for the Lord to come, waiting on the Lord to come. God organized that Duncan would be there and within a few days of meetings, when it didn't look like anything was going to happen, as they began to meet and they left the building, they walked out of the service thinking that it was, well, nothing really happened, to find the parking lot full of people who the Spirit had just drawn together on that little island of Lewis and said, we have to be saved. What led from that moment as he began to preach by the Holy Spirit on this little island of Scotland, that people began to get converted on street corners in the middle of the courthouse, just randomly throughout the place. Before people would even come into the service, they would be on their face repenting in the parking lot because of the tangible presence of God. He said it was like as if God's presence had just descended on that little island. In fact, there was a story I remember reading about that there was a high school dance and the students had all showed up to dance and the such conviction came over the high school dance that the entire student ministry, the student population said, we have got to leave the dance and go to the church and get saved. And they, can you imagine if that would happen in 2020 where there was just such an awareness of the awe and majesty and holiness of God that school dances would empty out because people, two little 80-year-old ladies had prayed for a move of God in their community. Maybe the problem is not that God doesn't want to move. We just haven't invited Him to move in a space in our hearts. To say, God, do whatever it takes. God, rend our routine. God, shake up my life with Your presence. God, lay waste to all of our American comforts and come down. To pray with James in chapter 4, draw near to God and He draws near to you. To know that if we are sinners, we have to cleanse our hands and purify our hearts. If we're double-minded, to be miserable and mourn and weep and let laughter be turned into mourning first and our joy to gloom first. And then if we humble ourselves in the presence of the Lord, then, then He'll lift us up.
We like the other part. God, send revival, send joy, send peace. But yeah, we say, God, we want you to change this circumstance, but we never let God change our hearts. We want God to change our conditions of the world, but not the condition in us. God, save the alcoholics. God, save the homosexuals. God, save those liberal Democrats. God, save those people. But we never say, God, what about me? Maybe I'm just as much of a liar and a cheater. Maybe I've got the same emotional. Maybe I've got anger controlling me. Maybe I've got secret addictions. Maybe I've got religious hypocrisy living on the inside of me. And maybe I'm not bothered so much because I'm comfortable with my social media and my TV. And I'm comfortable with coming to church just a couple times a month. I'm comfortable with not getting on my face in my prayer closet and praying for the condition of a world that's not ready to meet God. Rend my heart, Lord, and then rend the heavens. He says, and I will return to you. Verse 4, he says, God, you always act for those who wait for you. You always meet those who rejoice in doing righteousness. You always meet those who remember you. You see, any time we turn our face to God, God always shows up. That's how good He is. God does not want to come and kill sinners. God does not want to come and bring wrath. He so loved the world, He sent His Son to save them from judgment. He wanted to give us His presence, so He gave us the fullness of the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us. Us, who are we? We're sinners. We're nothing. But God wants to dwell in the middle of our mess. He's not asking you to be perfect. He gave Jesus for you because Jesus was perfect. But He wants you to love Love him with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. To love your neighbor as yourself. He wants to fill you with his power and his glory and his love. That's him. And so you, Isaiah and us have this same predicament. Yeah, I want to go to heaven. I want this loving, cool, awesome God. I want to be in heaven always. But there is also this other side. Am I ready to meet a God who hates sin? Do I know I'm ready? And is this community ready? We say, yeah, I want to go to heaven. Hurry up, get this thing over with. But how many people are going to die and go to hell? And is the church even ready? That's my fear as a pastor, uh, a millennial pastor, pastoring in a day like 2020. Lord, how many of my people are really ready? I don't know. And that bothers me. It bothers me to pastor in a day like 2020 when I see so many people who had said on Facebook and social media, oh, I can't wait to get back to church. I can't wait till we, man, when I come to church, we're going to shout and dance down the aisles. We're going to pray like we've never prayed before. And yet the churches across America are still empty. There's no hunger. It's all hypocrisy. We like to think we're religious. But how many people really want revival? Lord, rend my routine. Lord, shake up my life. Lord, show off yourself again. And he ends it with this. My close. He says in verse 8, he says, God, I've got to come back to you as a child. You're my father. I'm your child. We are the workmanship of you. And he says, Lord, would you do something? We have so long been the clay that has said to the potter, why did you make me this way? How come I can't do what I want? I don't want to do that. I want to do things my way. I like to live life on my own terms. I can be a Christian and still do these things. I don't have to have compassion. I don't have to have prayer. I don't have to have Bible reading. I can go to church. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. I'm a Christian. And he says, but Lord, I'm getting rid of all that. And he says, Lord, would you be the potter again and I'll be the clay? Would you mold me, shape me to be the person you want me to be? And until we get to a place, he says, and those who wait on the Lord, he will show up. 
He says, I'm always for those who are seeking my face. And the problem we've got to get, church, is that we are not ready. We're not waiting. You have to allow the potter time to mold you. That's that prayer closet time. That's that time in church service. We used to wait in the Lord in in our church services at the end and just wait for God to move. We used to have uh, prayer meetings in homes. We used to have times where people would just gather around the table and pray for one another. We used to allow times of morning devotions and evening devotions where God would move in our hearts and say, Lord, maybe maybe this anger you need to deal with. God, maybe this lust you need to deal with. Or God, maybe this gossip or this hatred towards someone. God, I'm, I'm, I'm understanding, Lord, you're working on me. I feel your presence. God, you're telling me not to, not to think that way or feel that way. Lord, I don't have it in me. Lord, you mold me. Remember what Paul says in Romans 12? Let your bodies be a living sacrifice. Lay your life down before God. That's really how you worship him. You give him your whole body and worship, and then he will transform you by the renewing of your mind, and you'll know what God's will, his good, pleasing, perfect will is for your life, that every day you just say, Lord, mold me. God, don't let me slap that coworker today. You know, whatever it is, that you just say, well, God, I'm, I'm making space. I'm remembering your word. I'm returning to the Bible. And I love what Charles Finney said. He said, a revival really is nothing else than a new beginning of obedience to God. Say, Lord, I'm not perfect, but I want to be like you. God, I've messed up. I just want to be like you. I just have a hunger to be like you, Lord. Another author, Vince Haver, said, revival really is just falling in love with Jesus over and over again because he's such a good God. He's such a good God that he's willing to respond graciously in the middle of our sinful mess to love on us, to dwell in the middle of us, to make us pure and holy in his sight. And what did he do to Elijah, Isaiah? He said, I know you're a man of unclean lips, and he got an angel and he touched that coal, got that coal, and he touched his lips. The very thing Isaiah confessed, he cleansed him up and he called him closer to himself. And that's what God wants to do for you and for me. But God loves us, but he hates sin. And the question is, are you ready to meet Jesus? If you really would die today, are you certain you'd meet the right one you want to meet? You, are you certain you'd stand before him unashamed, totally forgiven and free? Or would you stand there in the guilt of your own hypocrisy, of our own religious works, of our own self-efforts, thinking that I've, I'm just a good person, I'm going to make it? He says, man, even on our best day, you'll never make it. Only until you humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, repent and weep over your sin, and allow the Holy Spirit to make you born again, alive in Christ, where you know that you know that you know that the Holy Spirit is living in you. Paul says you can cry out in Romans 8, Abba, Father, I know the Holy Spirit's living in me. I know I've experienced true birth. I know I love Jesus and Jesus loves me. I have communion with him. I love him. My heart is for him. I'm perfect? No. Do I fail? Yes. But my heart is for Jesus. I want to please Jesus. I love Jesus. And Jesus is merciful on those who seek him. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, they're going to be saved. Those who are running after him, who seek him with his whole heart, he will be found by them. And Are you ready? And do you think this generation is ready? This generation needs a church, y'all. They need a church to seek for a move of God one more time. Because if Jesus came today, how many people in our families and our communities really would be ready for that king? Would you stand with me all across this place? Worship team, would you come? God always rends the heavens for those who rend their hearts. God always rends the heavens for those who rend their hearts.
Are we ready for Jesus' return? And is this generation ready for his return? And will we partner with Isaiah and say, Lord, we know they're not ready yet. Lord, even some of us in our churches aren't ready yet. God, would you show up again? Bring the heavens and come down. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and open your hearts. Maybe here today you say, Pastor Heath, I am not ready. I do not know that I have peace with God. If I was to die right now, I don't want to stand before Him on my own works. And I don't know that I have a born-again relationship with Him. I don't know that the Holy Spirit is living in me. And I want to know that I have peace with God. I'm ready to change, not by my power or effort, but I want Him to change me on the inside. I want to think the thoughts He thinks. I want to fall in love with Jesus again. And I believe that Jesus is who He says He is. The Son of God who died on the cross for me because He loved me. And He wants to give me the Holy Spirit. He wants to dwell with me. And He's coming back to redeem a church who's longing for Him. And if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I want peace with God. If that's you, just put your hand up, put it right back down. I'm not going to embarrass you or make a fool of you or, or anything like that. But I want you to be honest with yourself and with God. Are you ready? Are you ready? You just put that hand up, put it right back down. I'm just going to pray over you. Say, Lord, help us to know that we know. Amen. 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 Anybody else? Say, that's me. Would you pray for me, Pastor Heath? Amen. Lord, be with us. Amen. Father, you see these hands. God, many of us, we've been with you. We know you. Maybe we need to get back in with you. Father, I'm praying right now as we confess our sins and dependency upon you, God, as we turn from living life our way and doing our own thing, and we turn to living to please you, Lord, I know that we trust in you and put our whole life upon your word and trust our whole life upon your word. God, you said if we confess our sins, that you are faithful, Lord, to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So, Lord, for every person who's here today who does not know you or those who are listening online, God, that we believe in Jesus Christ, that he is the Son of God, that he paid the price for our sin, that we are now saved by his grace alone because of his cross, and we believe on that, and we repent, Lord. We turn from living life our own way and turn to living life your way by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, I pray for these as they make this bold statement today. Lord, with uplifted hands and broken hearts, God, Holy Spirit, I pray you'd fill them right now. If that's you, I'm just going to invite you just to begin to pray. Just begin to seek the Lord that he's going to do some work, good work in your heart today. And in a moment, I'm going to open up these altars. And if you want to find a place of prayer and they'd like somebody to pray with you or you just want to get alone right at your seat, that you make that statement. It's not about me praying for you or, or doing something uh, in front of this church. It's something you're going to do with your whole life and your whole heart say, Jesus, I know that I'm saved because I trust in you, because God's encountered his spirit in my heart. Maybe you're here today, number two, and you say, Pastor Heath, I know 
from God. Maybe you're here today and God's moved in your life before. You know of times where God has moved mountains for you. But you know that we've become sleepy saints in this last days. And we say, Lord, we're ready to rouse ourselves again. We're ready to pray for a generation that doesn't know how to pray. We're ready to pray for a community that's dying and going to hell. They've got no one to intercede for them. How will they know unless we go? How will they, how will they hear unless we go to them? How will they know God is alive unless God is living on the inside of us? You say, I want to be that saint of God again who is filling their house with prayer, who's praying in the altars, who's interceding in their prayer closets, who God is moving in their life so that people might say, truly God is in this place. And say, Lord, God, I'm going to rend my heart in this season so you will rend the heavens. As 2020 comes to a close and 2021 is here, how many people say, Lord, you can use me. God, I'm going to be an intercessor. God, I'm going to partner with Isaiah and I'm going to pray for my community and my church, my family, that my heart will be broken for them until the day, God, that you come down and manifest your presence. How many say, that's me. I'm going to pray for my children, my community. You just lift your hand and say, Lord, I'm going to make that commitment. God, rend my hearts and I'm going to rend my heart to you who are in the heaven. I'm going to ask the worship team to sing this song. We're just going to make the next several minutes, several moments, just to be an altar to God. If you want to come find a place of prayer, you need someone to pray with you, right where you are, I just begin, if you know how to pray, saint of God, you would just begin to let God make this moment real for you. I'm just believing that God in this moment is going to touch your life as you just give him everything. So let's just do that all across this moment. If you feel comfortable, you just raise your hands. We just begin to cry out to the Lord for a move of God in this day. What if he started right now? What if it came right now at Sanctuary Family Worship? Would you say, Lord, rend my routine, rend this place, God, mess up our church, do the unexpected, Lord. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Jesus, rain down in this place. Lord, move mountains, oh God. Save the lost. Show up and show out again, oh God. Holy Spirit, Lord, we need you to move again. Jesus, come. Jesus, come. Let's pray, church. Come on. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, Oh God. 